Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. Words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then from the New Testament, we'll be turning to the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, We'll be reading from uh, 1 on to verse 14, but tonight we'll actually just consider the first uh, two verses as we make our way into the book of Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of his of the glory of his grace, by which he made us acceptable, accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would glorify Jesus Christ in our midst um, through your word. Uh, Lord, give me um, clarity of tongue and thoughtfulness through this. Lord, help me and help all of us as we listen to the word. 
and we ascend that uh, Mount Zion where we come to dwell with you um, and become like you. Uh, We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So like Elder Dave earlier said, I'm going to be going through the book of Ephesians with the young adults at Branch of Hope. Um, And we'll be going through just kind of looking at these ideas of the the basics of Christianity. You know, my my thought of a youth group is that the goal is to get the youth out of the youth category, right? To get the youth to become adults as they live in the body of Christ. And so what I wanted to do with them and with us tonight is talk about some, some very basic things. And I'm going to start by asking two very basic questions. The first one... What is the Bible all about? There's a lot of answers that might be popping in our minds. Redemption. Um, maybe the Bible is about getting into heaven. Maybe the Bible is about Jesus being a good teacher. Uh, maybe the Bible it is about uh, just kind of helping you get through your day. Uh, you know, some people say the Bible is an epistemological starting point. A lot of answers to questions like this. And the second question is, what makes someone a Christian? What is the Bible about and what makes someone a Christian? And in our minds, uh, answers come up like faith or uh, believing, uh, those who uh, go to church, and so forth. Uh, But these questions being simple, they're actually often hard to answer. We at least have one Uh, philosophy major in this group, and the whole discipline of philosophy is based on the idea that basic questions are really hard to answer. Uh, You think of uh, epistemology, which is how we know what we know. Um, It's kind of a simple question. How do you know what you know? Uh, But men have been struggling for thousands of years trying to answer this question. Uh, But it's not just philosophers. Children ask these simple questions that are hard to answer, Questions like, you know, what is the Bible about, or what makes someone a Christian, or how big is God? Um, How strong is God? How could God die? Um, And oftentimes, uh, these simple questions, even though they're hard to answer, once we get to those fundamental questions, those simple questions, they actually become the foundation of all that we do. They direct us in a very particular path. And I think the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, answers our two questions really well in these first two uh, verses. Uh, The question of, what is the Bible all about, and what um, makes someone a Christian? And I think the answer that we'll see in these first two verses, and throughout the whole book of Ephesians, is the Bible is about in Christ. Being a Christian is about in Christ. You see, the whole idea of being in Christ is at the forefront of the mind of the Apostle Paul, which should be a little bit striking to some of us, right? Maybe the greatest theologian that the church has ever had other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And where does he go? The basics, the fundamentals. You know, if you're going to play basketball, kids, uh, or join a soccer team, or practice music in a band, the thing that you're going to need to have really, really well, um, have practice, is the fundamentals. you got to practice your scales. Uh, you got to practice shooting the same shot again and again and again. And I think 
the Apostle Paul takes that same approach here in his opening address. I don't know about you, but I've heard people say things like, okay, I got the gospel, what's next? Or I kind of get what the Bible's all about, but you know, what's, what's the higher thing there? And I, I, I hope that wouldn't be any of us as we consider the book of Ephesians. Um, certainly there are grand truths built on the gospel, but the gospel is our all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one we return to again and again and again. And as we consider those two words, in Christ and Christo, in Christ, we think first of Christ and all that he is, the Son of the Father, very God, the creator of heaven and earth. We think of what he does, the, the one who uh, tabernacled among men and uh, took on flesh and lived a uh, life in obedience to the Father and died on the cross and raised again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is actually right now, as we speak, reigning over heaven and earth. And then we also think of that little preposition, in. And it shows us our relationship to this one that we worship. We're in him, if we believe. So I think the letter to the Ephesians, and really the Bible as a whole, can be summed up by this idea of being in Christ. And that's what we're going to consider for a few minutes tonight. Well, first Paul opens up by giving himself a title. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You know, who is Paul? We remember that Paul was actually a persecutor of the church. He was actually standing by when Stephen was killed as a martyr. Yet we also remember that Paul was the one employed by Christ. When Christ came to him and he said, Paul, I'm going to make you an apostle. I'm going to send you. You're going to bring my message to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to the world. And he calls them to be that apostle, which is the one sent, one who's sent by the king with a message. Um, I don't know about you kids here in the back, but when I was growing up, if we ever said, Mom says, and she didn't actually say, we were soon to be in trouble. And it's the same with the apostles. They come with the word of the king. And with the authority that Christ has, which is over heaven and earth, Uh, The apostles and and us as well, we should be those who hear the word and try to communicate it clearly and accurately that we can say, Christ says, without putting Eli in there and getting in the way and bringing it uh, to people like the Ephesians. Uh, And the funny thing about the, the book of Ephesians is he's an apostle, right? He's one sent out with a message, but as he's writing the book of Ephesians, he's actually under house arrest. He, he's a sent one in chains. You know, as we, uh, if we look to Acts 20, we'd, we'd see that Paul spent some time planting the Ephesian church with probably a, a handful of congregations in Ephesus. And he receives this revelation from the Holy Spirit that he has to go to Rome and that he'll actually be um, bound in Rome or, or under house arrest. And there's this kind of emotional part in Acts 20 where the Ephesian elders are crying over it. Um, Paul's crying with them, but he goes because he's the man who is uh, completely owned by the will of God. So he goes to Rome, but this, this apostle, this sent one, this messenger, under house arrest, brings a message again to the Ephesians. 
probably a handful of years later, and he writes to them um, in this epistle that we see here. And one thing that I just that amazes me when even just thinking of this idea of an apostle in chains is that the, the gospel cannot be stopped. Uh, sometimes I think of the Apostle Paul and some of the greatest work that he did, he did from prison. Uh, you think of uh, Corey and Elizabeth Tinboom uh, and all that uh, they did and their, their Christian experience and how impactful it was because they were in prison. You think of John Bunyan and his writing of the Pilgrim's Progress, which is one of the greatest books in Christian history, which he wrote in prison. Because the gospel can't be stopped by men. It's the gospel of the, um, of the king. And the will of God directs Paul, and he directs uh, all believers, you and me. Like I said, God's will owns Paul. And when we think of the will of God, we've got to always think of it in a twofold sense. There's the secret will of God, his plan for human history, uh, that, that we don't know unless, like the Apostle Paul in Acts 20, we don't know the future. We don't know uh, what tomorrow is going to be like. But there's also the prescribed will of God. That's this one right here. That's the Bible. And it tells us what we are to believe and what duty God requires of us. And Paul's the one that partakes in this will. Um, but you and I are also to be those. Even though we're not apostles, like Paul, we're all Christians. Which means, I, I hope as we're considering this book, that over the next couple of weeks or so, that throughout the weeks we'll, we'll all go through Ephesians privately a few times. Read it over and over. It's just a few chapters. Uh, but that's why we're the kind of people that read the word again and again and again and again. Because it's by the word and the Holy Spirit that we actually know the will of God for our lives. This is why we read and we pray and we talk to our elders and we, we reason and we seek to walk with God in the decisions that we make because like the Apostle Paul, God's will owns us. And I want you to be that kind of person and I want me to be that kind of person. Uh, the kind who say, thy will be done in all things. Um, and even in looking for a pastor. Again and again, Lord, thy will be done. Like if, if I can just challenge all of us here at Westminster to do one thing in the next couple months, every morning, pray thy will be done in bringing us another minister. But then Paul also has this audience. He's writing to a particular people, the Ephesians. Um, probably, like I said, not one congregation, but a handful of home churches in Ephesus, and uh, he's writing to them, and he calls them this interesting word, saints. The, at the forefront of his mind, while he's addressing his brothers and sisters in Ephesus, he says, saints, which means holy ones, it means those set apart. Uh, you know, in the Roman Catholic Church, saints is this special category but when we read the Bible, we, we, we see that everyone who believes in Christ is a saint, which means you're set apart, like the temple set apart, like worship for God, like the, the Sabbath day, a day for us to uh, set aside to give ourselves wholly to God. Uh, you, you might even think like uh, we think of monogamy, right? Giving yourself to one person, 
maybe the classic example of setting yourself aside. And God says, you're saints. Those in Ephesus who believed in Christ, they're saints. They're set aside to give themselves wholly to God because of these two words, in Christ. And these words, in Christ, theologians have called union with Christ. Um, This idea that I am Christ, Christ is mine, I'm together with him. As I believe in him, I, I don't just receive benefits, but I receive Christ. And then because I receive Christ, I receive the benefits that he has. You know, as we read this section, you just see, of Christ Jesus, in Christ. Uh, it, it's almost like Paul is just like obsessed with these like prepositional phrases that all end with Christ. He's captured by this relationship with Christ. And like I said, it's greater than just benefits. You know, one of the great things about being at a Reformed church is you hear words like justification and sanctification and adoption. But if your conception of Christianity is merely benefits without Christ, you might not be a Christian. You ever think about that? If, you're, I, if, if just justification is preached and not Christ who justifies, something's gone horribly wrong. If everything's just about sanctification but not the Christ who washes his bride again and again, something has gone wrong. And the Lord Jesus illustrates this idea of being united to Christ with the illustration in uh, John 15 of being grafted into him, right? This idea, kids, you know what grafting is? It's where you take a branch from one plant, say uh, a lemon tree, and you can actually take that branch and cut a little wedge shape into it and make another little wedge on the uh, other tree, which could be like an orange tree or some other citrus. And you can actually connect it, and you wrap it up, and it fuses together. And now that branch receives all its nutrients from the main vine, from the main tree. And the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ have this proclamation that that's what union with Christ is about. It's about being connected to him and receiving all that we have from him because we're grafted to him. You know, as we think about uh, union with Christ being this fundamental reality for Christians, um, I, I think of it almost like, uh, like the Pacific Ocean, and we each have our own little Dixie cup, and we, we go to the Pacific Ocean, and we could try all day long to empty it, to get to the bottom of it, and we would try our whole lives, and we'd die before we can empty out the significance of being united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we can't exhaust the gospel. And it, and it shapes the way we think, right? When we have that really strong gospel focus. I, I often think um, in one of C.S. Lewis's books, he talks about this um, woman who's being preached to, and the woman keeps um, saying, well, I just want to go to heaven so I can see my son Michael. And you're like, wait, it's exciting to see your brothers and sisters and, and people who have died before you in the Lord. But the preacher is like, no, no, no. You get to see Michael, but that's not the reason for heaven. The reason for heaven is Christ. 
You see, when we have union with Christ at the forefront of our minds, like the Apostle Paul being in Christ Jesus, it actually reshapes our idea of heaven and hell and redemption and sanctification, uh, of these gospel truths that we see throughout the whole book of Ephesians, uh, which the next week we'll look into like these grand truths of redemption, but they all fall flat without these two words, in Christ. And then he brings um, us a small summary, really, of his message, I think, um, in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you even see at the beginning of the book of Ephesians that Paul's a Trinitarian, right? He's mentioned two already. Later on in uh, verse 13, we'll see that he links this also to the Holy Spirit, which is something that we always have to remember uh, when we're thinking about union with Christ, is that it's not just Christ, but it's the Father who sent the Christ, and it's the Spirit that seals us to Christ, and we live as those who are Trinitarian. And because we're Trinitarian, because we're united to Christ, we have grace and peace from God our Father. Grace is used 12 times throughout the book of Ephesians, peace Eight times, you know, grace, this idea of um, unmerited uh, uh, favor. But as we think of that, in the context of the Bible, unmerited favor is actually not enough. It's unmerited favor from the God who, because of his speaking, spoke the word into existence. You see, when God says, I favor this one, this one has grace. It comes with the power of Almighty God. As we see the word grace throughout the scriptures, we want to see that unmerited favor with power, with strength, because of the one who the grace comes from. And because of that, we receive peace. And Paul's opening section here is really kind of his prayer for the Ephesians. His his prayer that they would have grace and peace. That they would be those who look to God, their Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And and as we think about this, one of the main tragedies of our current day is our conception of God the Father. Have you ever heard someone talk about God the Father like he's this angry, wrathful, mean, grumpy God? But isn't it God the Father who sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for you and for me? Like, what a shame it is to have a loving Father send his Son to die for you and for me, and then we say, you're grumpy. And the only reason we love Jesus is because he saves us from you. Like, what a shame. It's it's God the Father that says grace and peace to you. And to the Ephesians as well. And we need to drastically reorient that in our mind. And he shows us that we receive grace and peace. And what does this grace and peace look like? Well, it looks like verse 7, just to jump a little bit into into next week's talk. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, we have grace and peace because of something that Christ did. 
Because Christ fixed our relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit in his work on the cross and in bringing us into a state of redemption. And verse 2 is really like Paul's first domino that really sets up all these other grand spiritual truths that will unfold in the weeks to come. Uh, These spiritual realities of uh, being elected and redeemed in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and believers uh, and moving forward to all these ideas that the Apostle Paul has in the book of Ephesians, ideas of death. You know, sometimes we forget that when we talk about being Christians, we talk about those who were dead in Adam and now are dead to ourselves. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the one who is dead to themselves is also dead to sin. And also those who remember the, the death that awaits us all in our bodies. And even as we see it toward the end of Ephesians, that husbands are supposed to be like Christ who died for the bride. And also it's a book that talks a lot about life and living. Not only dead to yourself, but alive in Christ. And we'll see like these ideas of like walking and moving and being active Christians. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and it, it moves us to something. It changes the way we think and the way that we live. And it calls us to a life uh, that we live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it, it unites us. Not only, we're not just living individuals, but we're a living body with Christ as our head, and we call it the church. And, uh, you know, we consider these verses, and they're really just so pregnant. For the weeks to come, we'll really probably just be skimming the surface. Uh, we could probably spend a sermon in like half a verse at a time, Um, but we're just going to skim the surface as we continue through this. But again, I would encourage you to go over and read it again and again and again. But if we ask what does his message look like, um, I think it is verses 3 through 14. We just see a grand uh, message of what God has done. We're going to read that again and then have some closing remarks. Uh, But verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the, the prepositions throughout this section. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him. Before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ 
should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purpose possession to the praise of his glory. You see, the book of Ephesians, Paul's gospel message is about being in Christ. The, the, the whole Bible is about union with Christ. It's about the union with Christ that we share as believers, bringing glory to God Almighty. And a few things to challenge us as we think about this. What do we pray about? You know, we, we have the Lord's Prayer, and oftentimes our prayers aren't as uh, directed by the Lord's Prayer. You don't, you don't see in prayer meetings very often, well, I, I pray that we would hallow God's name. But it's really those kind of basic prayers, prayers about things like union with Christ and thankfulness for it and praying that God would unite people to Christ, that there would be uh, salvation seen in the nations before us that should be shaping our prayer life. What about the things that are on your mind? Is it union with Christ that's first on your mind? So Paul is sitting under house arrest, writing to the Ephesians, and his first thing he talks about is their relationship with Jesus. I don't know if it's when you're speaking or writing emails or writing actual letters, but do you start that way? Or when you see a brother and sister in church, and is that on the forefront of your mind? This is someone who's in Christ Jesus. You know, I think the Apostle Paul is an Orthodox Presbyterian minister. He's fully Orthodox. He's Presbyterian. He's a minister. Uh, but so often, when I'm talking to people, it's, it, it's a name that can be a little difficult sometimes. Even the other day, I was picking up some wood on Craigslist, and I was talking to this lady, and she said she's looking for a new church. She's like, what kind of church do you go to? I said, well, it's called an Orthodox Presbyterian church. And once you say those words, you kind of like start moving down this path, and like, what's Orthodox? What's Presbyterian? Is that the same as Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox? And you're, you're going down this path, and nothing necessarily against our name, but we need to watch out. Because it's really easy to spend a lot of time talking about the kingdom, but never get to the king. We can spend a lot of time defining what orthodoxy is and what Presbyterianism is, but sometimes we just have to say, you know what, our church, it's about union with Christ. We're we're the church that believes in the Bible, and we believe that everyone who believes in Christ is united to him. And in that, receives Uh, adoption and justification, sanctification, and live these lives of pursuit of God, uh, living to be more and more holy. And we, we look forward to glorification and the final resurrection and the union of the new heavens and the new earth and living with God forever. That's what our churches are about. And we need to get to the king, and we need to be like Paul, keeping these fundamental basic union with Christ truths in the front of our mind as we address brothers and sisters, but also um, those looking for churches and also those who don't even know the Lord. 
So does our understanding of the words in Christ ultimately lead us to that verse we read in Ecclesiastes 12? That the end of the matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. I hope that it would. I hope that we would be able to glorify God as we meditate on this idea of being united to Christ and that we would show that to the world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all that Christ is in himself, but also in our lives. That he's the one who died that we might live. That also we look forward to living with him forever, eternally. We pray, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in our midst. That you would teach us new ways of that highway of holiness that Isaiah talks about, that we'd be those who, like the Apostle Paul, bring forth these basic, simple, yet utterly profound gospel truths to our minds again and again and again, and that that would bring life to our souls. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and pray that you would be the one glorified in our midst. In Christ's name, amen.